0: Not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb
1: are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30 minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. At 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings, but this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Charlotte Maya is the author of Sushi Tuesdays, a memoir of love, loss, and family resilience. This is guest hosted by Julie Chavez, who is the author of the upcoming Zippy book called Everyone But Myself and the host of Ask a Librarian, the podcast. This is the story that Charlotte Maya wrote called Sushi Tuesdays about being widowed to suicide when she was 39 and when her children were six and eight. She started the blog
1: Sushi Tuesdays, where she shared her thoughts on life and love and loss. Charlotte, Maya, thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to talk about your
0: beautiful book, Sushi Tuesdays. I'm so glad you're here today. Julie, I am thrilled to be here with you chatting about Sushi Tuesdays. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. I finished your book and it is meaningful and important and raw and beautiful. And I was really moved by so many parts. So I'm just excited to talk with you about it and hear more about what's behind the book. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Okay. So because I'm terrible at summarizing things, I'm going to have you start for us. If you wouldn't mind, just give uh, the listeners just a sense of what is your book about?
0: Yeah, Sushi Tuesdays. The, it starts with my husband's suicide, and we had no idea that Sam was suffering so much. I was thirty-nine; the kids were six and eight. Sam was forty-one, and really, that's that's where it starts. And the propelling question is: How am I going to get through this? How am I going to move forward? How am I going to help my children heal? And what happened? Mm. So those are sort of the compelling questions that I lived and then wrote. Yeah. So did this start with your blog? I know that Sushi
1: Tuesdays refers to the day of the week that you set aside for yourself during that time where you allowed yourself to do whatever you wanted. And it sounded like it started with yoga and therapy. Those were kind of the two underpinnings. And then slowly that developed into this day of true Self-care. So did you, when did you start the blog? Because I know that's kind of the beginnings of the book, correct?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll back up just a little bit. Yes. The title Sushi Tuesdays comes from Tuesday became my Mm self-care day. I called it my Charlotte Shabbat. I had a favorite yoga class on Tuesdays and then my therapist had a recurring slot open up on Tuesdays. So Tuesdays became my day just to take care of myself because as a single mom with two young kids, I knew that I had to take care of myself in order to keep this train on the tracks. And as a practical matter, you know, it was only the time the kids were in school. They were in first and third grade, so from maybe nine to maybe two. But if you're a single mom and you have five hours to devote to yourself, that's a lot of time. yes, And so I guarded that time very carefully. That's why I called it, it was sacred time. That's why I called it my Charlotte Charlotte. Shabbat. Mm -hmm. And I was really afraid that, well, also to back up, when the policeman came to tell me that Sam had died, they told me, we will tell the children that their father died, but you have to tell them how. And we recommend that you tell them the truth because you do not want them to find out from somebody else. And at a time when nothing made sense, that actually made sense to me.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And it is one of the hardest things I've ever done, but also my children who are now 22 and 24, the six and eight year old are now 22 and 24, know that they can trust me for honest answers to really hard questions. And that advice to be honest and transparent was just so helpful in guiding my path forward. But I was afraid that when I was honest and transparent outside of our little home, that I would be ostracized
1: Mm.
0: because of how Sam died. Yeah. But what I found was the opposite. What I found was connection. What I found was people wanted to talk about suicide, Sam in particular. Suicide's the 10th leading cause of death in this country, and we don't talk about it. It's the second leading cause of death for two age groups, 25 to 34 and 10 to 14. And the thing we know that helps is talking about it. So people kept telling me, you have to write the book, you have to write the book. And that sounded really overwhelming. I (laughs) had never written a book, but I was on a run one day and I thought, well, maybe I could write a blog because Mm -hmm. a blog is about a thousand words and a book is about 100,000 words. So maybe I'll just start with a blog. So that is where I started. About four years after Sam had died, I started my blog, Sushi Tuesdays. Mm. Not realizing, by the way, in URL form, there is one of what we call Uncle Jose's colorful words right in the middle of sushi <laughs> Tuesdays. <laughs> Once you see it, you can't unsee it. No, I will only see that from here on out. That's exciting I, for me. And it's poetic, right? Because it was dealing with the mess of grief, the mess of mothering and child rearing and widowing and finding a path forward. So it was dealing with, you know, the raw, real mess.
1: Absolutely. It really was a shit sandwich.
0: Yeah, it was. I didn't know if I could say that out loud. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I did. (laughs) Sorry, listeners. You say it first and I can say it too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's so true. I mean, there's no, I think one of the things you do so well in this book, first of all, sorry, let me back up. I'm sorry that you lost Sam. I'm sorry that he's gone and that you and your boys had to go through that. I read the first chapter and I have two sons who are also 2 years apart. I have been married for over 20 years and reading there was a line you wrote about knowing, you said after 17 years I knew what he was thinking and I have a very similar line that line that I wrote about myself and my husband and I just I was so moved by your bravery, and your openness in it. So thank you for writing about it, but I'm sorry that you had to live it. Thank
0: you. Will you tell us a little bit about Sam? Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for asking. Sam was funny. He was a huge Dodger fan. Well, actually, I should say he was a huge baseball fan. The Angels were actually his team, but we live closer to Dodger Stadium, and we would always joke there was never a question on the Dodger JumboTron one of those mm-hmm. trivia questions there oh, yeah. was never one that he couldn't answer like he was just this encyclopedia of baseball knowledge and you know baseball season there are always times we think of Sam um mm-hmm. baseball season is definitely one of them and it, baseball was just a a passion for him. He loved it. I think he he probably should have found something baseball related instead of going to law school and, you know, other important, but, you know, maybe less passionate pursuits. He was funny, but he never laughed out loud. He hardly ever laughed out loud. But I knew if I could make him laugh out loud, I felt really good about that because that was like That was a good day. If I could make Sam laugh out loud, he always would say, I'm smiling on the inside. Like, well, can you, can you give me a little something? Cause
1: (laughs) yeah, throw me a bone here. Come on. I'm trying really hard. That was funny. Yes. (laughs) Did he have a dry Um, sense of humor?
0: He did, Sam would be like one of those people in the back of the classroom cracking up with one other person and you wanted to be in that conversation with him. Like you wanted to be the person who was sitting in the back of the classroom with Sam because you knew whatever he said was really funny, probably irreverent, very clever, but he was just very sort of quiet in that way.
1: I love hearing about who he was. I think that's one of the tough parts about suicide as we talk too much about, or not too much, but it's just the topic becomes how they died and that becomes, they are more than their death or how we lost them. It's And especially, I think we're starting to know that a little bit more now, but especially in the time that he died and before that there wasn't, we didn't talk about suicide and it's still not even close to enough. So did you find after he died that that was the case that people only wanted to talk about the suicide and maybe whether you knew and did they want to dissect it
0: with you? Yes, there's all of that. I, I do agree that the stigma and shame surrounding suicide threatened to reduce our loved one's life to their very last moments. Yes. And that's part of why I'm so grateful for these conversations where we can open up their whole life and, and I do think that's sort of particular to suicide is, and, and it's so confusing. We yes. want to know why. We want to protect ourselves. We wished we could have protect our loved one. And so there is a lot of conversation about the, the why and how could this have happened? How could I have missed the signs? And were there signs? All of those questions are really very poignant. Mm-hmm. So, yes. And also, with Sam's friends and people who knew him and the cousins, those are sort of the first early places where we could open up the whole conversation to the whole of Sam and include his life, his quirks, to make fun of him, right? Sometimes that feels a little bit taboo, but, but... That is sort of that teasing nature is what we do with people who we love and we have a lot of affection for. And Mm -hmm. we might laugh about their quirks, but we love them for those quirks. That's part of who they are and part of our whole relationship and what we remember. Yeah,
1: that makes complete sense. And perhaps also, especially in Sam's case, I would imagine that more public side of his death than brought in people who weren't safe for those kinds of moments and conversations. So you were sort of dealing with it on two fronts, and obviously with your boys as well.
0: Yeah. You know, I was surprised, though, how many people were safe. And I think part of it Mm -hmm. came from my willingness to have these conversations and my vulnerability in that space. Yes. A lot of people have lost loved ones to suicide and they haven't had a space to talk about it. So when I was talking about Sam, I would hear about somebody else's brother or somebody's aunt or somebody's mother or somebody's child. And being open to those conversations, it's horrifying how many people Mm -hmm. die by suicide. I think the number is something like one every 11 minutes in this country alone. Wow. Which is devastating. It is. And we might not be able to stop all the suicides, but we can do a lot better than we're doing right now, for sure. Yes. And so having these conversations and being safe places and understanding that if someone that you know and love seems off or seems like they're suffering, it's okay to ask, are you thinking of hurting yourself? Are you thinking about suicide? Do you have a plan? You're not going to put that idea in their head. Yes. But if you ask it out loud, now they know that you are open to listening and mm-hmm. then you can guide them to a professional. We don't have to be the professionals. But in the same way we are fluent in physical health, we can be, do better mm-hmm. in mental health. And the language we use matters. So we, we don't normally use the term commit suicide because that word commit has criminal connotations. Yes, And suicide's not a crime. It's an mm-hmm. illness. And when we understand that, then it's easier to have those conversations and we say instead of saying commit suicide we say died by suicide or even suicided as a verb which does sound a little awkward but we've done harder things than <laughs> yes. to say
1: suicided. We can figure that out.
0: Oh, totally. We're on yeah. it. I
1: love that you make that distinction and that you're pointing that out because language always lags. So it's mm. like we're always kind of catching up to where we should be and you're right. Using those terms is important because Depression and anxiety and all of these and suicidal ideation, they're such monsters and we don't understand them. So I think seeing it with a different lens is healthy for the people who are still here and also for honoring the people that we've lost.
0: That's right. Yeah. That's right. We used to say the C word for cancer, and people would whisper about it and not talk about it out loud. And when you say the word out loud, it takes away some of that stigma and shame. And then we can also devote resources and research and invest in saving lives.
1: Yes. Uh, Mr. Rogers, I'm a big Mr. Rogers fan. He was what's mentionable is manageable. Mm. And that I always comes to me because I think the same thing. If we can talk about it, then... and To your point, also, one of the biggest lies, and I read some of this in the book, or or the lie that a person who's experiencing suicidal ideation, their mind is telling them a lie that they're not important, that no one cares, that their death might be an improvement, all these other pieces. And so for someone to ask about that and open up a window for them to actually speak about it, then it feels, oh, this is a person that's checking in with me. So it helps to combat that. Loneliness, because that's the worst part.
0: The isolation Mm -hmm. must be just horrific. Yeah. About a year after Sam died, his cousin, Carol, died from breast cancer. She's 33 years old. Mm. And at the funeral, one of the cousins said, Carol was fighting for her life, and Sam threw his away. Mm. And it made me so angry because Carol had doctors and chemo and therapists she had women showing up at her doorstep with casserole and people offering to watch the baby and drive carpool and Sam was fighting just as hard but he was fighting alone and that's what we can really combat we don't have to fight alone mm-hmm. we can we can address the isolation
2: yes hey grown ups the cat in the hat cast is a new podcast from wondery perfect for the whole family Join the cat in the hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week.
0: Is that part of what writing means to you? Oh, that's a great question. And the answer, I think, has to be yes. Yeah. Writing to
1: feel. Because I feel like that in your writing. When I read it, I feel less alone. And I feel
0: that it is that connection that we can have. Yes, it is that connection and what resonates with each other. Because at some level, loss is universal. It resonates in a certain key. And we've all experienced different losses. It's not better or worse. It just stinks in its own unique way. And to be able to relate to each other Mm -hmm. in this way can be very healing. Yeah. We're not
1: great at holding each other's pain.
0: So having
1: spaces for that, it feels like. And writing can really be one of those because of the maybe the lack of face pressure. Sometimes I can read those words and feel
0: that, but not necessarily. Because for some people, conversations are really tough. Totally. And these are tough conversations. And yes. so um, writing about it, reading about it is also a way to open up a safe space. Mm-hmm.
1: When you were talking about people showing up for a person who has cancer, I know one thing that really stood out to me in the book when was when you talked about Engineer Jane. You talked about all the Janes. So all the people that just showed up and did stuff and were there in all these ways for you. But engineer Jane offered to be at your house at 745 every morning to walk your kids to school. And I thought that was so beautiful. And you made a point
0: about that. Why did you choose to include that? I had so many people just kind of embrace me and Mm -hmm. the kids, and so I was very lucky in that way, and one of the things that I learned being a widow, because it is hard to accept help from other people, we're not acculturated to do this, Mm -hmm. but I was just at such a loss that when people asked me if they could help me, I just said yes, yes, I need the help, I don't even know what I need, because I need all of it, and one of the things I learned was that everybody has a gift, And it might be surprising. And when people say, what can I do to help? They might have something that they don't even realize is a gift to somebody else. Maybe Mm. it's choosing a soundtrack, you know, making a Spotify playlist. Maybe it's cooking or baking because definitely we need to eat and the children need to eat. And that's important. Maybe it's driving carpool. But engineer Jane so I called all these people the Janes because there were so many of them. And um, it amused me. I, as a lawyer, I sometimes like about Jane Doe, one, Jane two, <laughs> three. And so that's where sort of the... I, and I had a lot of friends whose names started with J. Janie, Joni, Janie, Jeannie, Jenny. There were just a lot of J names. And so I consolidated them and really highlighted what the gift was. yeah and so engineer jane said to me charlotte i can't cook and i have no social skills she says <laughs> but i have noticed that you and the kids are always late to school and so she said i would i i would be happy to come to your house at 7:45 with her two kids by the way and You know, she was like our little morning drill sergeant. She'd walk in. I mean, it'd be seven forty-four, and one of the three of us was in jammies for sure. Somebody's teeth weren't brushed. Maybe none of the teeth were brushed. (laughs) I'd be like, "Okay, Engineer Jane is going to be here in sixty seconds," and we all knew she was going to be there exactly at seven forty-five. And so we all got into gear: backpacks, lunches, socks, shoes, homework. And it was it was an incredible gift. She did that for months. Do you know anybody? who can be anywhere with their two kids five days a week at 745 promptly. No, only one person could do that. And she did. And I didn't need 12 engineers on my doorstep yeah. at 745. I just needed the one. And so I loved one of the things I just loved about Engineer Jane to me is that she epitomizes that each one of us has a gift and it might not look like everybody else's gift. And that is what's beautiful about it. Mm-hmm. And even more valuable in some ways, because yes.
1: if everyone's cooking, then no one is getting you out the door at 745. Yes, that's right. There's, <laughs> listen, there's enough for everybody to help me with. It's <laughs> Yes. Everyone, my need is great. So please feel free to pitch in. But please show up and then do your magic. That's right. But I do love, too, that you, know, you, you were open to it, but also I wonder if there's a, a reminder there for all of us to maybe try and be more specific when we are offering help. Do you think that's something that's helpful
0: for people? Yes, absolutely. When people ask me, what can I do to help? I would say, I have no idea. Right. When they said, could I collect your mail, pull out the bills, write the checks? This was 2007, so we still wrote checks back then. Write the checks, put the stamp on the envelope. You know, there were lots of pieces to this whole thing. Yeah. I'll just clip the everything together so that you can sign the checks, put the check inside the envelope and take it to the mail. Then I said, yes, absolutely 100% I need that. Yes. If somebody said, could I I don't know, fill in, fill in the blank, could I walk the dog, could I drive carpool, if they had yeah. very specific ideas. I had one night I was telling somebody a story about Jason having, Jason's my youngest, having mm-hmm. shredded his favorite blanket into strips. He just shredded it in a fit of rage and confusion. He shredded it into strips. And I let him because he wasn't hurting himself or anyone else. And, and it was an expression of his grief and rage. And that felt important. And yes. then after it was in tatters, he looked at me and he said, Mommy, you have to fix it. And he was inconsolable because now he had shredded his transitional love object and he couldn't go to sleep. And so I was telling a friend this story about, you know, how I had failed again as a mother Mm -hmm. because I just felt like there was no way to win, right? Either I don't let him shred it and he still has his rage, or I let him shred it and now he doesn't have his blanket. So she said, she's a seamstress and I didn't really know that about her. And she said, can you gather up all the pieces and I will do my best to put it back together. So this is an incredible moment for me when she is able to do that. And I think I would encourage people also, you know, healing is ongoing. You might not know what your friend needs in the first week or even month but healing doesn't have an expiration date grief doesn't have a date certain on which you are done and so just stay in there because you might notice after a month that somebody needs a blanket repaired and you might be just the person to do that
1: i love that image what a beautiful and hard story right? Because that's so much of what you share in the book is just trying to mother your kids well through it and care for yourself. It's just so much. Oh, yes, people's gifts. And you're exactly right. People don't realize sometimes what they can offer. So it's a good thing to think about. I know that I am terrible with the meal trains. It's garbage for me. I have to think of something else.
0: Not your gift. But maybe your gift is finding the right book for somebody at the right time. And they might not have the attention span to read in those first three, six months or years, but maybe after nine months, when they say something about having picked up a book again, you go, oh, I have just the perfect book for you. And I can't speak for you, but... I imagine that everyone listening to this podcast might go, oh, I love to get the perfect book. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yes. You're exactly right. You have me pegged. There's nothing I like more than giving someone the perfect book. Oh, it's the best. It really is. And you're right. There is kind of an honoring there. And like we were talking about earlier with, you can be a person who helps close or a little removed too. And those are both valuable too, because I think sometimes it can feel claustrophobic. I know you spoke about that in the book as well, where... At a certain point, you need some normalcy,
0: and mm-hmm. so it's just that back and forth. Mm. Yeah, and at the beginning, it could be overwhelming, but then very quickly, it gets very lonely. Yeah. And so those friends who could keep showing up, and again, I don't need 100 people showing up every day. But those friends who keep showing up in their own unique ways Mm -hmm. is very special. We joke, we don't hide the skeletons in the closets around here. We put their pictures up on the piano and on the mantle because love remembers. And then it's not so heavy. And we get to have these conversations about our beloveds.
1: Yes. People who made our lives what they are. That's right.
0: Yeah, that's right. But there are always moments. Jason is set to graduate from college next month. This month, it's May. But oh Sam, my gosh, it's May. I know. And it's astonishing that Sam isn't gonna be there. Mm. And so there are always these moments that sort of take our breath away. Yes. But we get better at it. hmm mm. I love
1: that you share so honestly about grief because it is such a messy thing, and grieving is it's it's a forever. You don't stop missing those people. So Yeah, Mm -mm.
0: But that's the beauty, right? Love and grief are flip sides of the same coin. And so love gets to remember.
1: Yes. Oh, that's such a beautiful note. What's your, just for us to finish, what's your greatest hope for this book?
0: My hope has always been that Sushi Tuesdays will find the readers who will love it and that readers who need... That self-care and that light and that hope and, and that real honesty will find Sushi Tuesdays. I know you're a librarian, and one of my favorite gigs was volunteering in the kids' library, and I remember standing there one day, and I love to read, and there are all these books, and I'm looking around thinking... As much as I love to read, even in my school library, which is pretty robust, there's no way I could read all the books there. And it's sort of a small but incredible miracle when readers and books find each other. So that is my hope for Sushi Tuesdays.
1: Well, I think you've done a tremendous job. And I think I know it found me. And I'm very grateful that it did. And I am wishing it all the luck. Thank
0: you so much, Julie. What a joy it is to speak with you. Same. Thanks, friend.